What is up, Kyle? I'm very excited for today. How are you doing? Doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm going to break down what we're going to be doing today, and then we can just jump right into it. How's that sound, Kyle? Sounds good. Cool. So, guys, for today, we're going to be understanding betting advantages versus the total and the spread. Then we're going to be reading some case studies. What's the, what is a tempo? Why is it important? And how it can be played into betting strategies. We're going to do uh, a little bit into offensive and defensive efficiency, uh, what points per 100 possession will be and how it affects the game, and then just some matchup data. Uh, all right. Well, hey, Peter, you want to jump right into that first slide for us? Cool, guys. So this is uh, understanding the advantages of betting totals. If you're unfamiliar, Kyle is the king of totals. Uh, there's not a better handicapper in the industry than Kyle Hunter himself, and he's going to break down why – it's so important in the college basketball landscape. So the reason I, I like to bet totals more than sides is it's a less efficient market. The odds makers know that it is a tougher number to set, and that's why the limits are lower here on totals. The other thing is tempo has so much to do with it. You're projecting out the pace of the game. Um, you're trying to say how many possessions will each team have, and then you have to assign some sort of efficiency or points per possession for each team. To me, uh, that's far easier to do than betting a spread. Now, that's not to say that there's never value betting spreads, but uh, you know, there's a reason that these limits are are lower for totals. And um, you know, Michael, you know that I love these under the radar totals where it's you know Merrimack versus St. Francis or something like that. That's where I have a ton of uh, the betting value. Uh, long term is uh, you know some of the clients are saying, why are you taking that? I want Duke in North Carolina. Those games that are way under the radar can be the best value. So I would encourage everybody to check those games out when they can. Yeah, Kyle, is there a specific um, conference or you know team that you found this year that there's some inefficiencies in the market that you know, some of the listeners can take research into? Yeah, I look. I like looking at the Big Sky quite a bit. Uh, the Big Sky, uh, nobody plays defense in that conference. You know, you get a total of you know 150 or so. That's low for a conference like that. In fact, if you go back the last 15 years with a total of 151 or lower in the Big Sky, the over is hitting 55 and a half percent. Uh, just insane numbers if if you uh, look at that large of a sample size. And this year was even better than that. Um, you know, we're going to have a couple regular season games left in the big sky, and then we'll get into conference tournament time. It's important to point out that in conference tournament time, you have to be careful because some of these are played at neutral sites where it's a hockey arena. Uh, the shooting backdrop is a difficult one. I'm sure we'll probably talk about that in future weeks as well. But, uh, you know, some of those can be great for the under. So be careful with those. I like the big sky for totals. I do like the NEC. I mentioned Merrimack, uh, Bryant, St. Francis, teams like that. They're just way off the radar. You know, you're looking for these ones that, the odds makers aren't going to put too much time into because, I mean, why would they be as worried about setting a number for Bryant versus Merrimack as compared to something like, uh, you know, Ohio State and Michigan? So, you know, it's just something to keep in mind that uh, those limits are lower on totals for a reason. And those under the radar conferences, it's great to try to specialize in those. And at Sports Wagering U, that's something we talk about a lot is specialization, looking at conferences or teams uh, that you think you know really well. You don't have to bet the board in this. It's really difficult to win betting all kinds of games in college basketball. But if you specialize in something and you're really good at it, uh, you can have an edge there. Kyle, you kind of mentioned it earlier, but 
does the do the odds makers adjust for the totals in these tournament plays or do they typically stay in line with the regular season yeah there's an adjustment made just sometimes the adjustment's not big enough you know if you look at a place like um the mvc tournament missouri valley uh everybody that, that's a tournament that's coming up this week arch madness the under has been tremendous there. I think it's something like 65 and 39 uh, in the last 104 or something at the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament. That's played in a neutral site, which is a hockey arena there in St. Louis. Uh, you know, that is something to to pay really close attention to um, because the other thing you want to remember is you want to get a good price. So you're going to want to bet that early rather than late because if you bet it late, you're going to get four or five points uh, worse number. You know, it might be under 140 and then you get under 136. And I don't have to tell you guys how often that's going to matter. There's a lot of these that come down to one or two points. So you want to do the best you can getting a good number. Awesome. Kyle, what stats when they're looking at the totals for these conference tournaments do you find most valuable compared to some of the others that are out there? So I like to look at um, recent stats. Uh, I think it's important to point out that what happened at the beginning of the season doesn't really matter anymore. You know, if, if somebody played poorly in November, but they're playing really good now, uh, I think it matters very little. I want to know what they've been doing lately. Uh, recency bias can be a bad thing, but recency bias, I think, in college basketball can be very helpful because these teams change a lot. These are young kids. Uh, you know, they can gel. The chemistry can get a lot better. Uh, I like to look at um, efficiency numbers, offensive efficiency. I like to look really closely at rebounding margin. Uh, this is something I talk about over and over. I've ran all sorts of queries on this. The single most important number uh, for winning a spread bet in college basketball is rebounding margin. These teams that are constantly getting offensive rebounds, getting second, third, fourth chances, uh, we've seen Kentucky do this year after year. We've seen North Carolina do this year after year. They don't even really have to be that good at offense in the half court because they get so many second chances and then get to the free throw line a lot because if you're getting offensive rebounds, a lot of times you're getting fouled quite a bit too. So rebounding margin, one that I pay close attention to. And then obviously tempo. I like to look to see what kind of pace these teams are playing. It is important to say that when you get in these conference tournaments, sometimes the pace will slow down a bit. Because um, this is do or die for a lot of these teams, you know, in some of the big conferences, if you know you're already in March Madness, it doesn't make as much of a difference. But these smaller conference tournaments, like the ones that are being played this week, most of the teams aren't going to be in unless they win the conference tournament. Uh, so they're going to slow things down, be really careful. You're not going to see as much of a helter-skelter style here. For the rebounding stat, do you take a look at their rosters and see what the size advantage is? Or does that even matter to you? Because... Sometimes you'll have guards that are great rebounders. Sure, yeah. You want to know if there's uh, teams that have big height advantages over another. And I think a lot of people just look at the front court. And I think it is important to pay attention to the back court because you do get the 6'6 guard that's really good at rebounding. That also is important if, if you're playing a team that's playing a zone. Uh, we think of Syracuse, a team that's done that for years. They have a lot of length on the perimeter. Syracuse not very good this year, but they've done some serious uh, damage in the past in the tournament. They're a tough matchup, you know, so uh, th it's something where those teams can really cause matchup problems. And I mean, we'll, we'll talk more about matchups in a minute, I think. But, you know, the, the rebounding margin is not only from the big men, it's also from the guards. But, you know, overall, uh, offensive rebounding is really important and obviously whether you're going to give teams second chances or not, you know, you don't have to be really good at offensive rebounds yourself, 
but you can't keep giving the other team second chance points. Uh, you know, it's just uh, maddening, and it's going to be really hard to to uh, have a very good defense if you're giving the other team multiple chances. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Is there any sites that you know some of the listeners can check out to find these these uh, differences? Yeah, I recommend Haslametrics. Um, it's a site where you can click on at the bottom of the page. There's a preview tool. You can click on a preview for each matchup, and it sets the team side by side, offense and defense. So then you're able to see where does the offense have the advantage, where does the defense have the advantage. Uh, something like that can be really helpful because uh, instead of breaking a team down and spending all kinds of time and then switching over to another tab and looking at the other team, they're already there side by side so that you can see where's the, the, the offensive advantage for this team, where's the defensive advantage for the other team. Um, something to keep an eye on in that is, is that rebounding margin. Another one that I would recommend paying attention to closely is there's a PPST on Haslametrics. And what that is is quick steals uh, off turnovers turning into breakaway points. If your total's better, that's something you want to pay attention to because I think it's important for people to remember that not all turnovers are good or bad for a, an over. Um, sometimes turnovers can be really frustrating because, you know, you waste almost the entire 30-second clock, you throw the ball away, and then it just resets, and the other team wastes the clock again. That's really good for an under. But if you're a team like VCU or somebody like that who presses and tries to get out and run, if they're forcing turnovers and getting out and transition off of it, it's good for the over. So it's important to pay attention to those numbers based on tempo as well. Obviously, I use Ken Palm as well. Ken Palm's the the old uh, kind of gold standard in the industry. Uh, the problem with Ken Palm is the, the bookmakers all use uh, Ken Palm as well. So, I mean, you, you can pretty much just look at uh, Ken Palm, and that's almost exactly where the line will open on a lot of these. So um, looking at things like Haslam Metrics, Bart Torvik, another good website. Um, you know, I love shot quality. Uh, Simon does great work at shot quality. Uh, looking at, you know, what kind of quality of shot a team's getting and then afterwards saying the score should have been this when it was actually that. Uh, it's a really good uh, spot to look for regression. You know, you see a team that's maybe shot lights out from three, but usually they're terrible from three. Uh, there's probably going to be some value going against them in the future because, you know, you, you just got this really big win uh, making 12 out of 23 pointers and you usually th shoot 30% on threes. Then you're right. probably a good team to bet against in the near future after that. Yeah, you mentioned one thing, and I'll just point it out why uh, turnovers can be somewhat misleading. So you got to be careful with that. Last night, I believe the Pistons had three turnovers in five seconds and it led to two points. So it doesn't always lead to a point opportunity cool well we're going to transition over to our notre dame case study peter do you mind flipping to that slide for us awesome and i think notre dame might be a great example of what you were talking about where the early season may be a little bit different than later in the season they beat kentucky early in the season and that was at home but kentucky's probably quite a bit different team now so kyle you want to jump into this for us yeah and this um Notre Dame's an interesting team this year, but this case study goes back all the way to 2010 with Luke Karen Goatee at Notre Dame. So, I mean, this is, I'm, I'm putting some age on myself here. Um, <laughs> at, at, that, at that point in 2010, I was the young gun that had just kind of broken into the industry. And, uh, you know, people were paying attention because I was nailing a lot of these totals. I will say the totals market's a bit different now than it was then, but it's still really important to pay attention to these trends. If you look on the left side here, here's Ken Palm. 
Um, it's going to be hard to see the exact number of possessions, but on the left side there, uh, there's some red at the top of the screen, uh, right by the score, which means that it was fast paced. And then you start seeing blue at the very bottom consistently. It's easier to tell on the right side, uh, Bart Torvik, this is kind of a line graph showing uh, this thing trending downwards. Look at the tempo that Notre Dame was playing at at the beginning of the season and compare that to the end of the season. In the middle of the season, Notre Dame decides we can't run anymore. Mike Bray says, you know, we have Luke Heron Gody, a big man who's not exactly fleet of foot. You know, we're going to set it up and uh, run the offense, uh, run the clock down consistently. Totals better. There was a great opportunity here in the middle of the season. And I remember watching Notre Dame, sitting there watching, and I said, I have to make note of the fact that Notre Dame is absolutely stalling at every chance that they can. And for about eight or nine games in a row, I bet the under. I think I only lost one of those. Uh, Notre Dame was just really consistently uh, going under the total by a large margin because the odds makers were still using season-long stats on Notre Dame when really what they had done back in November when they were running and gunning really made no, no, no uh, difference at all now because that's not what they were doing. Uh, so this is one of those case studies where it shows you that paying attention to the game, you know, some people say, well, you don't have to watch the game. Uh, certainly you don't have to watch all the games. Uh, you know, I can't watch every game either, especially in college basketball. But the more games you can watch that you can make notes where you see a difference in a team compared to what they have been before, you might be able to spot something like this yourself. And, and there can be some great chances to make money. Do teams typically adjust throughout the season? You have, you know, early season non-conference are playing teams that they'll probably never face in a typical matchup. And then you have your conference play where is that more of their true color of what the offense and defense is going to look like come tournament time? Yeah, usually at the beginning of the season, the tempo's faster. We see more fouls. Then once you get into the regular season, conference season, uh, a little bit less fouls usually depending on the conference. Some of these conferences have refs who uh, make it a ref show pretty often. I mean, I'm not a big fan of that. You know, it's I get frustrated by just seeing free throws. But, but at the same time, it's important to go back and look and see what has changed in conference season in past years that you might be able to see that that will probably happen again in future seasons. Um, I do think that these teams, when they know each other well, they've played each other every single season, they tend to slow down, have games a little bit lower scoring. Having said that, the odds makers know that and the, the numbers will adjust. Awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's jump over to Tempo. Uh, Peter, can you go to that next slide for us? Kyle, can you explain to me and the viewers what exactly is Tempo? So first of all, tempo is how many possessions each team has of the basketball throughout the, the course of the game. So when you see on Ken Palm or wherever it may be, um, 68 uh, as far as the pace, that means there were 68 possessions for each team. Uh, 68 is pretty average. I think maybe 66 or 67, uh, 68, somewhere in that range is, is the average in college basketball. Once you get down to a tempo of 60 or so, you're playing really slow. Uh, 70 and above is a quick tempo. Uh, basically, this is just how many possessions does each team have. And like I said, if you're doing totals numbers yourself, the reason this is important is you want to know uh, what number of possessions there's going to be so that if you're going to apply a points per possession, which, you know, one point per possession is pretty common. Uh, good teams like a Gonzaga, like you saw on the screen there, they can put up 1.2 points per possession pretty regularly. Uh, you want to know how many possessions there are going to be because it's going to be really hard for you to bet totals without knowing uh, what pace or tempo the game's going to be played at. 
Does a fast tempo always translate to overs and a slow tempo always translate to the unders? Can it be variance? Yeah, it, it doesn't always uh, translate that easily. I would say a good example of something like that is like the SWAC conference, uh, Texas Southern, teams like that, uh, Bethune-Cookman, Southern. They play really quickly in that conference, but they're not good efficiency-wise on offense. There's a lot of turnovers and wasted possessions. Uh, in general, you're not going to get rich betting overs in conferences like that because people see the tempo. They want to bet the over but they're really not very good offensively. So you do need to know uh, efficiency numbers when it comes to offense and defense. And that's where I'll throw in too uh, from that previous slide. We talk about who controls the tempo in general usually. Um, more often it's the better team that controls the tempo. If you're a really good team, you can usually make the other team play your style. It's also a little bit easier to slow a team down than it is to speed a team up. So teams that are really, really good at slowing games down, I think of Virginia, St. Mary's, teams like that. We just saw St. Mary's slow down in Gonzaga the other day. Um, I don't think that'll happen again if uh, Gonzaga and St. Mary's meet up in the WCC tournament. I think Gonzaga would probably win that matchup. But St. Mary's are really well coach team they knew they had to slow the game down no running with Gonzaga they couldn't have that um, so usually the better team does it but it's a bit easier to slow a team down than it is to speed a team up and the home team I, I give the edge to the home team if all things else are equal because the home team usually has the momentum a little bit more we see that in the home court advantage even though it's not as big as it used to be there is still home court advantage out there certainly and tempo, does it come into play offensively, defensively, both sides of the ball? Is it in the press? Is it in the style of play? Walk me through that. Yeah, so tempo um, is not just offensively, and a lot of people only think of it that way because uh, sometimes there are teams that play relatively slowly on offense, but other teams are shooting extremely fast against them. Um, there's some examples like a, a Southeast Missouri State from the OVC. Obviously, I'm going to pull out one from way under the radar. Um, that team is so bad defensively that teams are shooting really quickly on them because they're getting really open shots right away. So if you're so bad defensively that the other team's getting an open layup right away, then your tempo is going to be faster even if you're not that fast on offense. So um, offense, offensive tempo does mean more to me than defensive, but you have to factor in both. And uh, if your defense is really good, usually you're going to slow teams down more. If your defense is really bad, usually the other team's going to play fast. Yeah, I think a great example is the uh, the Arkansas of old, the fastest 40 where they're playing defense, and that's speeding up your tempo. And then you have West Virginia under Huggins where they're playing full-court press. That's speeding up your offense, but that's not the style that the other team wants to play. They may play a slower – West Virginia may play a slower offensive brand of basketball, though. And West Virginia does, in fact. You know, there have been a lot of years where they don't look like they would be that fast on offense, but their defense makes the other team go so fast, and they foul a lot based on being so aggressive. You want to pay attention to the fouls because, uh, you know, if a team's fouling so consistently, they're likely going to end up having more possessions in a game, and obviously their opponent gets so many uh, free throws that it's going to be easier for them to score with the clock stopped. Uh, that can make for some higher scoring games. So, yeah, it definitely matters on both sides of the basketball. Yeah, and while we're in conference play and tournament play, do does the crowd matter to this momentum shift to the tempo? You know, crowd starting getting into it. You're making a couple shots. Do you speed up your offense, or do teams typically stay in brand? 
I think it's a, a case by case basis on something like that. It, good teams would stay in their brand. Bad teams would likely freak out, you know, speed up and and uh, turn the ball over more often. Uh, well coached teams are going to stick to what they do. Where teams that have questionable coaches are liable to just you know go haywire. Um, and, and there can even be some examples in, in cases like that where you may be able to see a team that clearly changes their style of play and they're not comfortable at all. Maybe you can bet a second half in that game because you know that's uh, that team's having trouble with it. You could even live bet the team in, the, in that kind of situation, fade a certain team. Uh, so it's a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, like a lot of things in sports betting, there is no one correct answer. Awesome. Uh, the last portion of this uh, on the tempo piece is – teams in tournament play typically stay in rhythm or is that another case-by-case -case basis where the opponent can wreak havoc defensively especially teams like Syracuse when they come to tournament time they're typically playing the same rhythm but the opponent might have struggles with you know say a zone matchup where they're not typically seeing the two three yeah I think uh tempo tends to slow down a little bit in the tournament because the games mean that much more so usually uh uh the, the games that mean less are more for the over and faster pace. The games that mean more uh, lean to the under and lower scoring with a slower pace. And certainly if you face a team like Syracuse or another team playing zone and you're not used to facing that, that's the biggest problem because, you know, if you face teams like that in the regular season, then you should be used to it. But if you're in a league where nobody plays anything like that, then you're going to struggle with it. But in general, uh, the more important the games are, the more likely I am to be looking to bet an under. Perfect. Well, hey, we were talking about offensive, defensive efficiency. Peter, do you want to transition to that slide and how that can affect the tempo and how that's so important to the totals? Yeah, I mean, this is the number of points scored per 100 possessions against the average opposing team. And that's important to point out is when you look at Ken Palm, places like that, it's versus the average team. It's not necessarily saying versus who they've played so far or who they're playing in this game. It's versus the average college basketball team. And here's where um, offensive and defensive efficiency, there's tons of things that go into them as far as numbers. There's rebounding margin, there's turnovers, how often you turn it over. I mean, some of these teams are turning the ball over 25% of the time. Then you have a team like um, Iowa or Wisconsin turning it over like 12% of the time. You know, I don't have to tell you if you're turning it over half as much as somebody else, your offense is likely going to be pretty good. And then uh, recent numbers versus full season numbers, we kind of covered that on the Notre Dame slide. I mean, I, I don't care nearly as much what somebody did at the beginning of the season compared to what they've been doing recently. And then venue, uh, I mean, there are just some great venues for unders. I mentioned the uh, conference tournament at the MVC, Arch Madness, how good it's been for the under. Also, Madison Square Garden, it's been noted to be a massive under venue for a long time, especially for college players. It's just a huge venue, uh, a shooting backdrop that's more difficult than what they're used to playing against. Another one that stands out is the Conference USA one. Um, you know, in Conference USA com Conference Tournament, they have been playing these at the Dallas Cowboys practice stadium playing two games at once with like a, a curtain between it's like YMCA style. That's been really good for the under because, you know, uh, you can hear another game happening. There's a massive uh, sight difference from compared to what you've been playing. So uh, venue matters a lot when you're betting totals. Obviously it matters too, if you're betting sides, because on a venue, something like that, 
Um, I would pay attention to teams who get the ball inside versus a team that shoots a bunch of threes. You know, if you're shooting a ton of threes with a really tough backdrop, I usually don't want to bet on you where if you're trying to attack and get to the line, it's going to be easier for you in a case like that. Yeah, perfect. So adjusted efficiency, it's on a 100-point possession basis. You mentioned earlier 65 is closer to the average. How do you adjust those two numbers? Because you're not – fully looking at a hundred point basis that's closer to oh, even more than an NBA game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what you want to do is you just want to see how many points per possession the team's going to get. So um, you want to know how many possessions they're getting. You, you look back at the average per possession. Uh, and like I said, the average is going to be about one or 1.02 or something like that. So what I do is I, I set the two teams up. I have to assign an efficiency for each team, how many points per possession they're going to get, and then project the pace, and then I get my number. Um, I can't tell you how much time I spend on on totals in college basketball. I mean, people always wonder, you know, you'll send me a message at two or three in the morning, and, you know, I message them back right away. I mean, I'm, I'm up making my totals numbers and trying to get the number in the night before, so I get a good number rather than betting it late right before the tip-off. And I think that's a that's a bit of a side point, but I do want to say that for everybody that's watching. I think it's important that you try to get a good number. And uh, if you're betting right at the end, right before the game tips off, you're betting into the most efficient market there is, where if you're betting early, you get a chance to, to bet versus just the sports book or a few people. Um, otherwise, the number's been kind of uh, beat around to where it should be. Uh, so I think you want to try to be betting early rather than late whenever you can. Perfect. So you just lead it into probably our last slide. Um, Peter, do you want to jump over to that next one? We'll talk about matchup data. What really matters in terms of the totals? You alluded to rebounds, um, but let's go into a little bit deeper. Why are rebounds just so important in this uh, totals game? Well, rebounds are so important because it's uh, you're either getting another possession or you or you're starting over the shot clock again, going the other way. Uh, you know, and and that leads into the second one here, second chance conversion percentage, which is at Haslam metrics. You can see SCC percentage. Really highly recommend people checking that out because this is the percentage or rate at which a team converts the offensive rebound into points, and the second chance conversion percentage is, I believe, uh, within 10 seconds or five seconds. It's on uh, Haslam metrics. I don't remember which one it is, but it's it's only counting ones that they put up really quickly because, as you know, when they get an offensive rebound, they reset the shot clock now to 20 seconds. Well, it doesn't really matter as much to a total if a team's just pulling it out and running the 20 seconds again because you're burning that clock, where if you get the offensive rebound score within two seconds, uh, that's going to make a big difference to the total. So pay attention to those. How much uh, SCC percentage are teams getting on offense versus what they're giving up on defense? And then free throw attempts divided by field goal attempts. This is uh, both defense and offense. Here you're looking at teams that are getting to the line a lot or teams that are not getting to the line a lot. A lot of fouling. Uh, not a lot of fouling. This is really important too. And and obviously everybody knows to look at free throw shooting uh, percentage. We have teams in the country shooting as low as 58 or 59% from the free throw line. That's just crazy. And then you have teams that are shooting 80%. So if you're getting to the line a lot and shooting 80% versus shooting 60%, it's going to mean a, a big difference both to a total and a side, obviously. Awesome, Kyle. Well, hey, I want to thank you for your time again. If you guys aren't familiar, Kyle, he's an expert in college basketball totals. 
He is one of the best totals betters in all of sports. And we offer at Sports Wager New classes, personalized classes from Kyle, from some of our other professors that go deeper into this data that you won't have accessibility anywhere else. This doesn't exist in the marketplace currently today. So if you guys are looking for classes and want to just become a better handicapper yourself, we are the place to be. Our link is in our Twitter at sportswageru.com or however you do the handle. And Kyle, again, thank you for your time. And uh, we look forward to having you again. Absolutely. Can I can I give the people a couple angles here real quick? I want to throw yes, in a, yes, a bonus. You know, you know, I love these. So it's like bonus information. So we're talking late season, guys. Uh, there's still regular season games going on. Best coaches ATS from game 20 on. I'm going to mention a couple. Dana Altman, 108 and 69 against the spread. I know the Ducks are coming off a loss, but they've been tremendous at the end of the season. 108 and 69, you've made uh, betting $100 on his games going back 15 years. Uh, at the end of the season, you're up $3,200 just on a $100 bet. So massive right there. Jim last 93 and 63. He's at UC Davis. Um, Shantae Legans at Portland, 27 and 13 against the spread. And then a couple good fades here real quick. Jamie Dixon, I know TCU coming off a big win, but he's 67 and 90 against the spread from game 20 of the regular season on. Uh, Mick Cronin, 64 and 84, uh, UCLA's coach, and that's regular season data. So uh, interesting numbers and, and something that we can follow up on too. Looking forward to uh, the coming weeks. Obviously, we can talk about March Madness a bit more. Awesome. We've got people saying, hey, I'm writing these down. Bet openly. He's going to be there putting it on his site. There we go. Cool. Well, Kyle, I appreciate it again. If you guys haven't followed Kyle, it's Kyle Hunter Picks. He gives out great insight. He's very transparent, unlike a lot of the handicappers out there. And like I said, he's one of the best. His records are verified. And you can just Google him and you'll find out all that information. So, Kyle, again, thank you for the, the time. And uh, we look forward to having you on again. Thanks a lot. Appreciate we bet and having me on here today. Uh, best of luck with all your plays, everyone. On a warm summer's evening, on a train bound for nowhere, I met up with a gambler. We were both too tired to sleep, so we took turns of staring out the window at the darkness. The boredom overtook us, and he began to speak. He said, "Son, I've made a life out of reading people's faces and knowing what the cards were." By the way they held their eyes So if you don't mind my saying I can see you're out of bases Or a taste of your whiskey I'll give you some advice You got to know when to hold up Know when to fold up Know when to walk away And know when to run You never count your money When you're sitting at the table There'll be time enough to count When the dealing's done Surviving is knowing what to throw away, knowing what to keep. Cause every hand's a winner, and every hand's a loser. And the best that you can hope for is to die in your sleep. And when he finished speaking, he turned back toward the window, crushed out his cigarette, faded off to sleep. And somewhere in the darkness, the gambler he broke even. And in his final words.
I found an ace that I could keep. You got no when to hold up, no when to hold up, no when to walk away, and no when to run. You never count your money. When you're sitting at the table, there'll be time enough for counting when the dealing's done.